Thank you for listening to Agreeable Disagreements. And I know that this is the beginning of the podcast and a really weird place for me to say thank you. But I wanted to take this moment because we don't get ads. We don't broadcast this a whole lot. But we know that we get a good amount of dedicated listeners. And I want you to know that we know you. We wish we saw more of you. But we also know you wish you saw more of us. This episode ran super long, and there's some really interesting stuff about my personal views with politics that we decided to ultimately cut out. However, we will be giving that to you as a bonus episode the day after we air this episode of the podcast. So if you're listening to this the day it comes out, then check back tomorrow. And if you're listening to this after the day it comes out, you can go listen to that bonus episode right now. It's only about 10, 15 minutes long, and I think you might get some interesting insights. Anyway, you're awesome. Thank you. So I just, uh, very recently, within you know, the last hour or so, finished uh, reading Patrick Stewart's memoir, and okay. it was Isn't fantastic. It called, like, Make It So? Isn't, it's called know. Make It So, which is a reference to, I mean, that's a classic uh, Jean-Luc Picard line. Uh, but I have been a lifelong Star Trek fan, especially the next generation. So uh, this was, um, I, so I read a lot of memoirs. Sure. Especially of, you know, uh, celebrities, comedians mostly, but celebrities that have like, you know, some kind of parasocial connection with um this has by far been the best one it's it was such a phenomenal book and such a uh um just gave me a lot of new insight on an actor that i've loved my entire life um but had never really you know uh known a lot about and and his life intersects with so many different you know, comedian or not comedians, but other uh, celebrities and actors, and um, well, when you're Patrick freaking Stewart, Sir Patrick freaking Stewart, Patrick freaking Stewart, you're absolutely right. How yeah. dare I yeah. forget his order? His his honorific, honorific. That's the word. <laughs> or or emol- is is that what emoluments are? Is that is that like the whole emoluments thing where like giving people see. titles of nobility? No. An emolument or emoluments is just a salary, fee, or profit from employment or office. Oh, uh, okay. Wasn't there a thing though about Trump uh violating the emoluments clause by like wanting to like knight his children or something? I don't know. Or maybe about that was that. just about having his children work for him. That I don't might know. be. I think it might be working for him. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know about knighting. That's not something we do. Yeah. No. But <laughs> do you think that would matter to him? Maybe. Be like, oh, now that you're the president, you can give your children these uh, titles of nobility. Do you think that would at all Donald disinterest Jr., you're him? You're the best. You're you're the best knight in shining armor ever. I hereby grant you Duke of Hoboken. 
Um. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on to our topic. Yes. So obviously, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news since we were last able to sit down and record. Which yes. Which has I apologize. Been a while. Well, I've okay. been sick. It wasn't just that. First, we were going to sit down and record, and the day that we were set to do that, they ousted Senator McCarthy, as, or Representative yes. McCarthy, whatever, whatever yeah. it is. They ousted the Speaker of the House for the first time in American history, and we mm. were like, oh, well, let's pause and see if it goes anywhere. And then it kind of didn't go anywhere, so we were like, okay, let's record. And then you got sick, Yes, we still haven't gotten an answer or resolution <laughs> on, on the either Speaker one. of the House. So we're going to talk about the Speaker of the House controversy today, actually. Um, and we also want to talk about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And mm -hmm. again, we're going to fix a, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Yeah, we are going to fix right the here. That is you heard it. Older than you heard it here, folks. Oh, my gosh. For the first time in almost a century. Actually, well. Three quarters of a century. Can, can we give us that? We're, we're going to fix the Arab-Israeli conflict. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just want to remind us real quick. Benjamin not... Netanyahu, get at me. I got the answers for you, bud. <laughs> oh, you're going to kill me. All right. I just want to remind the listeners that we are not a news show, so don't listen to this as fact reporting. This is us yeah. saying, hey, these are current events. There's multiple ways to view and interpret what's going on with these events. We've talked a little bit about both of these things and there's some things mm -hmm. that we agree on um i will be interested to see how it goes with the things we don't agree on well so i think based on our preliminary conversations i think that our thinking is more or less in the same direction but, yeah, but there are definitely tracks. some areas where we differ on the specifics which i think yeah. is is kind of true of you know or more or less true of a lot of the uh the topics that we talk about but uh i'm i'm also interested to hear um exactly where we disagree on this one yeah okay so really quick for anybody who doesn't know about the background i feel like at this point most people who are listening know what's currently going on that these tensions between Hamas and Israel have reignited and mm -hmm. uh, there's fighting now going on both sides. There's launches going on in each direction. It started this time around with Hamas conflict. They see, I'm going to disagree with you here. <laughs> okay. I think that, that Israel for last year maybe two years has been kind of poking the bear that's fair um and you know keep keep poking the palestinian population and and i think this is my first point that i want to make hamas is not palestine correct hamas does not represent palestine hamas uh claims to be you know Palestinian. They're also the the ruling body within um the you know the Gaza Strip. But I want to make it very clear that when we talk about Hamas, when we talk about Hezbollah, 
And when we talk about Palestine, we're talking about three very distinct, different organizations. Right. And Palestine has specifically spoken out against Hamas, even yes. though even though when they posted that, it, it got taken down later. But they have spoken out and said Hamas does not represent Palestine or what we are. Right. Right. Which which I think is the, the biggest differentiation, because when you talk about the the IDF, you know, the Israeli Defense Force, uh, when you talk about Israeli organizations, what you are talking about are government sanctioned organizations. Right. Now, and what mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to detract from your original point, but uh, how dare I you? just I just wanted to make sure <laughs> that that the vocabulary that we're using sure. is understood. I agree. Yeah, that's a good clarification to make. I think, though, I think the poking the bear, as you said, goes both ways. Because, yes, Israel has been kind of poking that bear on the Gaza Strip. But, you know, Hamas has been regularly launching rockets. Yes, but Hamas is a terrorist organization. (laughs) Israel is a government. And so for the last year, they've really been fairly brutal in their treatment of Palestinians. And so to say that this most recent attack, I think it was about a week ago, mm-hmm. um, by Hamas is the start of this is not factual. I think that that is more a, I mean, you could go back to 1947 to... right the creation of Israel. You could go back further than that. I'm sure to the, uh, maybe even to the, uh, separation of, I, I think it was Isaac and Ishmael, the sons of Abraham. Yeah. Um, you know, founding the, the Israelites and then what later became the, you know, the Arabs, uh, Muslims, yeah. Um, You're but, right, but we got to put a deadline on it somewhere. And I think sorry, yeah. this conf- this specific conflict goes back to 1947, when yeah. after the Holocaust, Israel, uh, well, Hebrews, Jewish people around the world were looking to kind of regather themselves, mm-hmm. and they kind of went back to their homeland, and the United Nations helped them set aside a certain amount of land in what is now Israel. As their home, which which I think is an interesting concept for you and I, because you and I both belong to religions that are uh, that hold a concept of Zion, right? Um, yeah. Which, uh, from my understanding, the um, you know the Jews that that think that or that hold Israel to be their homeland, um, you know, consider that to be Zion. Yeah. Whereas I don't know your specific religion, but for us, Zion is more of a state of being than it yeah, is. Yeah, it's, it's more of a concept for us. Right, yeah. It's um, not a specific place, a specific although place. it could it's be a specific a, place. It's, a, it's, it's more like, hey, we've achieved a certain level where we're the goal of yeah. membership and spread around. It's a, it's a I, state of how everybody's living their lives kind of a thing. I think I um, likened it in a previous podcast um to the representation of uh star trek or of earth in star trek the next generation where it's interesting because that's what i used to explain marxist communism versus real communism (laughs) well example (laughs) but that's i mean that is kind of the the vision of zion that i that i envision it's you know there's no war uh your well-being isn't 
tied to your financial, you know, ability. There's, you know, there's no famine, there's no, relatively no disease, um, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so yeah, the Israelis view their homeland as a sort of Zion and they go back, but a lot of the land is kind of split between them and the Arab descended Palestinians. There's this builds and tensions until something called the six days war where Israel mm -hmm. basically reclaims a good chunk of that land. Um, and essentially not quite the borders evolve a bit more up until, you know, 2005 even, but essentially yeah. we're left with pretty close to the borders that we see today between Palestine and uh, the Gaza Strip. And more or less, Palestine and Israel are able to figure their crap out um, and kind of coexist. I'm not going to say get along. Yeah. And the key words here being more or less. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that That's definitely, there's a lot of loaded stuff behind that more or less but yeah they're neighbors that do not like each other but realize that they have to live next to each other yeah and they get on each other's nerves a lot they blow each other up fairly often um mm. but it's not as bad as the gaza strip now the gaza strip is a group of palestinians who were um basically israel was trying to colonize that land and trying to put Israelite or Hebrew people in that land. And it was creating a lot of conflict. And the resolution that the UN helped them come to was Israel would withdraw. Um, and that land would be under Israel's government, but have their own self-governance. Yeah. A, so, a little bit of sovereignty. And, right. and from my understanding, that is, um, so that governing body of, you know, Palestinian sympathetic people. Um, that's Hamas. Mm -hmm. And they started, uh, I believe as an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, who um, listeners might remember from the Arab Spring when um, uh, I think it was Hosni Mubarak uh, was deposed as the leader of Egypt um, and the Muslim Brotherhood came in and, and created a new Egyptian government. And there have been a lot of things, you know, from that. But Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood, who I think we were supporting in the Arab Spring, um, they split off from the same origins back in like the mid 70s, um, but are very much classified as a terrorist organization. Now, that's different than Hezbollah, which are Lebanese um, Palestinian sympathetic people uh, who primarily operate out of the West Bank of uh, the um, Jordan River, um, like the West or Eastern side of, of Jerusalem, but the West Bank of uh, the River Jordan. Right. And it's also, man, there's just, there's so much going on with it. Like we could sit here and explain for a couple of hours what this conflict is, but yeah. essentially, as you Surprise, mentioned, we're not going to fix this uh, <laughs> listeners. Right. 
Well, and since 2005, Israel has had the Gaza Strip sort of under siege, where they don't really let a whole lot get in. They do let refugees get out if they want to, but they don't let resources in. And so you've got a lot of people um, who are, I think, rightfully upset at that siege. It's not too dissimilar from what we did to Cuba. That's why Cuba. Well, that's that's what I was going to bring in or bring up was mm-hmm. you know technically if you immigrate from Cuba and you can make it here, you're granted asylum. Right. Look at you know as far back as like the early '90s with Alien Gonzalez, how hard that actually is to manifest. Right. Because you know obviously you don't have the water barrier that you do with Cuba, but just because you are uh officially granted asylum or refugee status doesn't always make it so that that is the the case right and it's 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 tough because on one hand what are they supposed to do just let the terrorist organization do whatever they want and right. on the other hand there's you know 48% of the population of the Gaza strip are children yeah. So and and not at all. Well, well, I mean, I think that's the thing is is what is your obligation to protecting your citizenry? Speaking, right. you know, from the position of the of the state of Israel versus what is your moral obligation um, to humanity? And it's very difficult to, I mean, that's a fine line to tread. However, I think that, um, I think maybe for the sake of uh, just this conversation, because again, I'm still recovering from being sick and we're not going to, you know, have a super long recording. Maybe let's, let's focus on kind of what's been going on within the last week in, and yeah. less so. Um, the historical difference, but so I think, oh yeah, go ahead. You, you said a, but you had a, but go. Uh, just saying that um, it is not as if Hamas's attack was unprovoked. We as a nation have, I mean, we as a nation have, have a duty to support Israel because we've said that we would support Israel. We're also, right. you know, foundational in the formation of Israel. Um, and an attack on Israel by Hamas should be condemned. However, the response um, both by the Israeli government and by the U.S. government um, and I believe also by, uh, I, I know the UK, uh, um, committed at least one warship and I think one submarine to, uh, patrolling the, uh, Israeli coast. Um, We've got two carriers out there now. Oh yeah, absolutely. But where were those carriers, you know, six months ago when Ooh, Israel was going question. into the West bank, pulling people out of their homes, uh, you know, extrajudicially, um, 
essentially committing up to the line of genocide. You know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't have systematic killings, but they did have systematic beatings and the at least unofficial targeting of Palestinian people. And, and we saw no response from, from our Western governments. Let's, let's hesitate to use that word genocide here, because they're not systematically I, eradicating not saying, people. Well, I think, that, I think that their response now to the entire blockading of primarily northern Gaza, not letting in any kind of um, – shutting off food, water, electricity – uh, and not letting in any kind of aid, un, you know, until their conditions are met, um, I would classify that as a genocide. That is a direct attack against a population of people within a specific ethnic group. Well, yeah, but it's not because of their ethnicity. It's because of the government. It's because is of it the, not, the. It's because of the terrorist organization. Is it, is it not because of their ethnicity, though? I mean, maybe if you're looking at the West Bank, possibly you could argue that it's specifically because of their ethnicity. But Palestinians live outside of the West Bank fairly peacefully with the rest of Israel. Yeah, but Gaza? I mean, what's the, what's a the percentage of... Gaza is controlled by terrorists. Yes, that's true. If Palestine, but the people living if Palestine there are not the... terrorists. You're right. But let's say Canada was uh was it ruled suddenly by a terrorist organization okay we would cut well, ties no i think them. a better metaphor is is uh all americans being treated as if they were part of the kkk i guess they are not representative of the rest of us right but if they're but let's say the kkk were to become in charge of our government we would i, I would know. expect don't don't start I would expect other countries to treat the country as a whole differently and yeah. say, if you want to leave, you can come. We're going to kind of block off until you know our connections with and block off aid to until your government steps down. It's, it's a way of encouraging a government to step down or to show its people that it doesn't care about them. And I think that's what the result but is, because if Israel block is... all of them. So one, it's not all. Sweden has been sending relief to Hamas for a number of years, and most of the time it gets through. Um, it's yeah, so it's not no all. No one can it's get most. through now. Correct. Well, Egypt yeah. has said that that they will allow people once the hostages are uh, are released. And granted, the hostages hostages should be released. However. So many more people are dying, right? Other than the hostages, it's it's not it's now not Hamas holding hostages. It's Israel, Egypt, you know, these uh, other other state actors are now causing more harm than good by you know refusing to give in to Hamas's demands. Okay, but but it's because they're trying to say, Hamas, if you're really, you were democratically elected, your whole argument that you're in charge is because you're doing what's best for your people, but you're murdering people outside of it. So we're going to cut you off until you start acting in your people's actual best interests. And when they 
as a way to encourage Hamas to actually do the right thing and as a way to show people, hey, your government is going to tell you right now whether or not they actually care about you. And Hamas is not, they don't. Hamas views all the people living in the Gaza Strip as hostages to hide behind. Yeah, they're you can't tell me, but right? But you Hamas can't, you, is not a government. It, I mean, they are they in are a governmental. A government. <laughs> they're in a governmental position, mm-hmm. but they're first and foremost they're terrorists. Yes, and they have an agenda to uh, to see to. Right. And so like, for example, you know, so Israel said, hey, we're going to bomb the ever living crap out of you. So get out. And people tried to leave, but Hamas wouldn't let them leave. Also, Israel would not let them leave. No, Israel Israel did no favors. Where did you see that? Because from what I've seen video of Palestinian refugees leaving. Okay, you've seen video of a couple hundred leaving. Let me Google it. That's not that's not a whole lot. I'm Googling it. Okay, so I have Googled is Israel preventing refugees from Gaza? And I'm not seeing anything other than the if Israel has sealed off entry to the Gaza Strip, which means the only access is through Egypt. Right, and Egypt is also denied, at least as of, I think, yesterday, Egypt has said they are not letting anyone in or out until the situation with the hostages is resolved. So it looks like there are people, it, it does look like people are having trouble leaving. Um, I, I think what Israel has done is made it incredibly inconvenient. They have officially allowed people to leave, but they've made it incredibly inconvenient and, you know, more or less impossible uh, under the guise of them punishing Hamas when really who they're trying to punish uh, are the Palestinian people. And my, I think my overall point is you do not get to form a government of, of, you know, considerable amount of basically relocate a population who has no right to this land. You don't get to relocate them to a place where people already live and then completely ignore the people who already live there and subjugate them for half a century and expect no pushback. And I think that the U.S. is, at this point, propping them up to save face, to, to save ourselves from embarrassment because we've propped them up for so long that we're turning a blind eye to any wrongdoing that Israel does uh, at the expense of Palestinian people. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. First, I want to give an sure. update on my Googling. My, so it looks like people are not fleeing to Israel. So I was wrong there. I will admit that. Mm-hmm. But it's not because Israel's not letting them through. It's because that's where the fighting is. And so well, yeah. it's not a feasible place to evacuate to. So they're going to the southern half of the strip. Um, yes, which, so is, which is where Israel told them to go. And they gave them, you know, quote unquote, fair warning before they right. launched their counteroffensive. But it is also true that Hamas is preventing them from leaving there, from evacuating. They're sure. keeping them there. And I mean, Hamas has a history of using its citizens as body shields. Yes, because you know? they're a terrorist organization. Yep. I don't think that's an effective tactic by Hamas because I don't think Israel cares about 
civilian casualties, <laughs> uh, at least not Palestinian ones. Well, I mean, at some point, push comes to shove sure. in every war. And whether well, you're and using civilians as body shields or not, something's going to end up happening. I, I And I think push comes to shove. That's, that's a very apt um, phrase to use because it's... I mean, there is no denying that Palestine has been underserved by the current, you know, it, by the Israeli government since the Israeli government's inception. Sure. Um, sorry, I'm opening up another beverage. See, but here, here's the thing. hydrated. That, that doesn't hydrate you. Because I can... It does. The, the listeners don't necessarily know what you're drinking, but I do. Oh. Good old, and, good old pub beer by Ten Barrel Brewing. Yeah, alcohol dehydrates you, my guy. Anyway. If you just hydrate in between, it doesn't matter. Oh my gosh, it, it, it does. But anyway. Um, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought now. Um, just look, look, at, look at how clear the skin is. Does this not look like the well-hydrated <laughs> face of... Actually, you know what? You may have a point. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know, I, I feel like, historically speaking, mm -hmm. there's always been instances in wars where one side is using civilians as body shields, and the other side tries to get around it as much as they can, but it eventually comes to there's got to be something done, and they have to blow through, mow, mow over. And in this case... Hamas is doing that and I think trying to paint Israel as war criminals for it. And we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of well, that, especially from leftist media. But saying, Israel is also committing a lot of war crimes. But they're specifically using this attack on Hamas um, where there are civilian casualties involved as committing war crimes. Specifically because right. the Gaza but Strip has a high child population. Like 48% of the Gaza Strip right. is children. But Hamas is a terrorist organization. Israel is a nation that is subject to the treaties that they sign that prohibit against war crimes. So but, it's it's I I don't want to say like I'm giving Hamas a pass, but it's like, yeah, they're a terrorist organization. Israel, Israel the ones held that, to a higher standard. Or at least held to a higher standard, if not within, you know, the international court, the Hague, whatever you you know whatever jurisdiction there is, we also don't need to be funding them because Israel and our own state representatives have said Israel is perfectly capable of handling this on their own. Israel okay. has one of the most advanced militaries in the world. They have some of the best uh, training, particularly within special forces and special operations. They can handle this on their own. If we do not the need Gaza to strip. Be Yes. No. Well, that's from my understanding of what the comments were made by at least our state officials. It was under the context of Israel could take care of this as, you know, as of right now, given their resources that they're utilizing elsewhere, they could they could handle this on their own. And yeah, yet, but you see, we're giving Syria, them Jordan, aid. Lebanon. Iran, Iran, but that's those but that's after but that's after you bring those into into account. I don't think so. Just the sheer that's, numbers game. That is, is gonna... what our state says. What our what our state department says. 
Well, just if they say it and doesn't mean it's true, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I agree that we should fund Israel, you know, out the wazoo. Um, and I would say that I see a lot of people in the media saying that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism. And I it's don't not. believe that. It's, I, a, it's I, absolutely not. I and I can't believe I'm going to say that I agree with Bernie Sanders here, but he says you can criticize the Israeli government and not be criticizing Israel. Yes. Right. It's one absolutely. thing to criticize the people. It's another to criticize what he called a far right government. And I don't know enough about their government structure to say whether or not I agree with that label. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he makes a good point there where it's it, just I, because you're saying they're not doing the right thing doesn't mean you're being an anti-Semite. <laughs> I, I would agree, and I I just want to make it clear I I don't necessarily disagree with um, the concept of Israel. Um, I I have uh, since I was you know very young I have been very interested in um, the history of the Holocaust and and you know the ramifications of that which led to the state of Israel, and so I am you know sympathetic to that. Um, I very much a, uh, I, I very much disagree with the manner with which they have conducted themselves within the last, you know, 50 years. Um, wh while also being understanding of why they have, they have done that, you know, it's, uh, like I said, um, it's important to separate Hamas and Hezbollah from Palestine. Right. Uh, I in no way condone Hamas's action or Hezbollah's action, um, but I am s somewhat sympathetic to the you know average Palestinian citizen who just wants to continue to live on the land that you know their family for generations has has lived on, um, and I think it's you know somewhat uh, analogous to conversations about you know, indigenous land in America, elsewhere in the world. Um, but it, it seems to me that Israel is targeting Palestinians and not sure. Hamas. So let me ask you a question, because I agree with all that. And I want to go back to the war crimes thing just for mm -hmm. half a second. Um, if we're going to accuse Israel of committing war crimes because they are attacking Gaza, which is filled majority with civilians, half of which are children who are, I think we've agreed being used as body shields, or as you said, poker chips as well yeah. um, to protect the terrorist organization. If Israel does go in and does invade or attack or bomb or whatever, and we're going to call that war crimes, what would you label? Well, Hold on. well, I don't think that just going into Gaza is a war crime. It's You're the right. method so, with which they're withholding vital resources and sure. giving absolutely no quarter to, to the citizens, the refugees. Okay. That I, what? that I think are, you know, reminiscent at, at the very least of war crimes. So what then would you call dropping the atomic bombs on Japan? A war crime. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but even more destructive than the atomic bombs are the fire bombings that we did, which are absolutely oh, yeah, war crimes. Oh, no. Fire bombings in Japan. 
so much more destructive, so many more human casualties than uh, either the Hiroshima or or the Nagasaki bomb. Uh, Hiroshima was, I think, more deadly because it was less, uh, uh, they were made less aware of it. Um, no, they were given the same amount of Well, but by the time that Nagasaki happened, people were like, oh, right. They had heard about it. And so they're like, we got to get out of Dodge. Yeah, they were getting out of, of, yeah, areas of population. But we actually dropped pamphlets over like 15 or 20 cities. Right. No one knew which one was going to get hit. But it was a crime to read any of those pamphlets. So, uh, ah, but was that a United States decision or a Japan? No, that decision? was it. Was it was a crime by the Japanese Empire to read any form of propaganda. So, if you were caught reading any of those pamphlets, you would have been thrown in jail. And in fact, there were several uh, known cases of people who tried to warn people uh, before yeah. the Hiroshima bombing itself because of these pamphlets that that the Americans dropped, but. Uh, uh, were punished because of that. So uh, I guess what I'm trying either to say, huh. yeah, the dropping of the atomic bombs or, uh, I think more so the fire bombings that we did absolutely war crimes. Okay. All right. I, I can see your logic there. I'm not gonna, it's always hard for me when I talk about this with my students, cause I bring up this as a debate. Was it right to drop the bombs or not? Because we did warn them, but That's you're right. A it was question. a crime. You're right. You're right. So is just whether or not it's a war crime or whether or not it was the right decision are two different questions. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Because and it, it's not one that I think I can answer. I, I think in hindsight, yeah. it's very, very easy to say, yes, it was the right decision to drop, you know, at least. Well, the, you're looking the at bombing. millions of lives over multiple years versus a few, you know, several hundred thousand lives in a couple of days. Right. But. Also, in hindsight, we have the knowledge that the Japanese were already planning to surrender by the time right. Hiroshima was right. dropped. So, so we, we didn't know that then. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is war is terrible. It's hell, you know? Yeah. And there's no matter how you slice it, nobody comes out on top in war. Right. I mean, someone wins, but that doesn't mean you're, you're coming out on top. And um, civilians always are involved one way or another and so it's not a game of how can we not in have civilian casualties it's how can we limit it and i think by trying to give them time to evacuate and give them notice to evacuate that shifts the guilt of those people those those people's deaths to the people preventing them from leaving okay I, i i can see that and I, I would somewhat agree, but I think when you have a military force the way that Israel does, which particularly does well with clandestine special operations, um, a more surgical approach is feasible and appropriate. And if it were feasible, they would have done it by now. I don't, I don't think so. I, well, I, I think that that goes to speak to the uh, ethnic cleansing motivation that, that I think is kind of underlying a lot of this. Um, I think that Benjamin Netanyahu is very much um, uh, a nationalist. Yeah. And, and 
is making decisions at the expense of people that are ostensibly under his care and his jurisdiction um, that I, that I don't agree with and that I think are detrimental and, and cruel. Um, and, end up costing a lot of civilian casualties where there don't need to be. Now, that is not to say that Hamas's hands are clean. Um, sure. I think, you know, obviously Hamas, again, it's a terrorist organization. I'm not going to condone a, a terrorist organization. Their entire point of existence is to uh, uh, inflict terror. Well, Hamas in their organizing charter or whatever they had it, from their founding have mm. called for their mission the, statement, right? The, the destruction of Israel, not just the destruction of Israel, but the eradication of all Jewish people. Right, right. But again, they're a terrorist organization. That's kind of a given that they're going to be shitty. <laughs> um, Israel is a state. That's true. And no one's been sitting that, around like, oh man, those Al Qaeda, they're good guys, you know. They're just misguided. Yeah. No one's sitting around saying that. That's a well, good point. Oh, <laughs> there might be some people, but not that I would care to <laughs> chat with. But Israel is a state. It's a state that has agreed to certain treaties and regulations and international law. And it's a state that we give so much money to and military support to, who have a, a well-functioning military of their own. Um, and, and I think more that's my problem is that, you know, regardless of who is wrong, who is right, we are, we are providing so much assistance to a nation who is violating its treaties, uh, committing war crimes, and who is not in alignment with what I thought our ideals were. So as, as a nation, not as a state, as a nation. Here's what I would say. Historically speaking, in any war, both sides commit war crimes. Yeah. Both sides. I mean, the United States used shotguns and trenches, which at the time was a war crime. Yeah, um, or uh, enhanced interrogation techniques. That was a fancy name for torture right. that we used in right. uh, Guantanamo that yep. you know, was absolutely a war crime. Yeah, and there's American soldiers in World War II who would take trophies, um, some of which ranged from yeah. toes of dead enemies to, I read a book um, where it talked about a couple of guys who took skulls and cleaned them up and used them to yeah. drink out of at their Oh, oh God, I mean, the, the Me Lai Massacre. Um, yeah. I don't think there was a single prosecution from that. Right. Uh, and that was, you know, plain and simple, just a horrific abuse of, of power. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, so what I'm trying to say then is sometimes it's hard to keep control over soldiers. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's because people have power and they, get corrupted with it and they make terrible evil decisions and sometimes it's because it's the only feasible way to fight back against someone who's committing way worse and way more war crimes than you i don't and, think i don't think we've hit that point that's I, the thing you know, is they're using those tactics and i don't think we've hit that point and i'm not going to say i know either way i'm not going to pretend to know enough about the situation to make that call um but 
it's what I guess what I'm trying to say is in a war, everybody commits war crimes. The difference is whether or not you're the winner, <laughs> which that, you I, mean, know, I mean, yeah. How many Americans were prosecuted for their war crimes in World War Two or Vietnam? That's that's fair. Yeah. You know, certainly not the ones that created the uh, Japanese internment camps. Thank you, good um, old FDR. Can't believe we tried to put him on our money. Yeah. I still Oof. think overall a, a a very effective president. Um, uh, we'll have to have but, that another discussion, another episode. I oh, I think we did several episodes ago. I cannot stand FDR or the amount of confidence. No, uh, positive feedback. I don't know what the the, the way that we the reminisce hubris. about how, the hubris. No, I just I don't like how people think he's this amazing guy and he wasn't. He censored all of American media so that no one would know he was in a wheelchair. Well, yeah. He had a he had a panel added to his desk to to hide that as well. Right. Whereas if Trump was in a wheelchair and tried to get people to censor, you know, tried to censor the media to say, oh, he's not in a wheelchair, we'd go crazy on him. Well, I think that speaks more to the age of technology that we live in. There's a lot to there's a lot to it, but either way, I just yeah. No, don't get me, don't get me started on FDR. Let's talk about the well, speaker of the house. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say let's let's move on to our second uh, our second topic, which I I don't have a whole lot to say about except that uh, I'm I not think it's surprised. I I'm think not it's surprised at all. Yeah, I, I think even Senator McCarthy, Senator Representative Representative McCarthy, Representative, knew that, that yeah. this was coming. Con- congressman, um, Congressperson, right? He knew. When he I, made I don't that want deal. to assume his his pronouns. He's a Republican. <laughs> oh no, his his pronouns. So congressman, congressperson. I'm I, not I know what to... you're saying. I'm saying he's a Republican. If there's anyone in Congress who you could safely assume the pronouns for, it would be him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, but I I think he knew going into that budget meeting that I, you know it what had to George and George Santos. Oh, George Santos gosh. is a Republican, oh. and honestly, couldn't tell you. No, I think George Santos is a quote-unquote Republican. He's a Republican yeah. to get elected. I don't think he's actually one. Right. He's he's whatever. As he far as his pronouns, though, moment. yeah, whatever, whatever he wants. Anyway, I, I, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to say about that, but I'm not going to. Let's get let's get back to the Speaker of the House. Let's stay on topic. We could have that discussion another day too, because I yeah. Oh, he's because he's he's also popping back up in the zeitgeist. Oh, not not just George Santos, but the whole he can be whatever he wants to be, postmodernist okay. identity is whatever I want it to be, kind of a thing. Okay, get but, yeah, let's get back to speaker. <laughs> because like, I will respect anything anybody wants to identify as and be called as, but I, I also think sometimes we take this postmodernist. My truth is relative just to me, way too far. Postmodernist idea that there is no absolute truth. I think we go way, way too far with that. I don't think it goes that deep. Uh, oh, it totally does. It I don't. Totally I don't think does. it does. But we'll, we can talk about that another day. So, yeah, of the this house, is a I, topic for another time. Yeah, I. You know, I think it's really interesting as a historian and as a history teacher that this happened because it is the first time in American history that we mm. have ousted a speaker. Well, and and on the wake of a couple other firsts in American history, 
first president or first president to be impeached twice. The first right. a- attack, well, maybe not the first, but the first uh, attack I think since um was it the war of 1812 on the US Capitol? Um because even I, I'm pretty sure even during the Civil War it was Civil War didn't make breached. it to DC. Yeah, the South didn't make um, it to DC, but they got Yeah, Richmond close-ish. was about as far north as I think we got, but uh, I think it was yeah, I think it was the War of eighteen twelve was the last time that the grounds of the Capitol were breached by a hostile force. And that's it just me going your, off my memory. I don't I don't know. You're if that's right accurate. in the sense that it's the first time that the Capitol was breached by any force. Yeah. But I would hesitate to use the words hostile because to me, hostile is like, we're going to try and take over and they were more seeing it as defensive. They were, were, I think you have to take their January 6th people were going for, they went in there chanting, hang Mike Pence. They were hostile. Yes. Okay. Yeah, all they, right. I'll they give were you hostile, that one. but I, I just, I think that's too hasty a term. I don't think it is for the January sixth entire uh, insurrectionists. They were a hostile force. They were there to cause harm. I don't think they were, they were not, there to cause harm. To they were there to cause Cameron. We've seen the footage of the, you know, the barricades being used to beat policemen. We've heard the testimonies of. Capital officials, we have we've read their texts where they are planning the planting of pipe bombs and and uh, seen the videos of them going through uh, elected members' files in the galleries where they're like, oh, uh, you know this this we need to use this as evidence so that we can lynch them. So a lot of those threats and a lot of those things were also found to not be credible. Just because you say something doesn't mean it's a credible threat. So, a, a okay, but, but when when I see somebody putting a, a a highway barrier up against a you know police officer's head, or I hear them say "hang" like chanting "hang Mike Pence," that's that's credible. I think you're right in that it is credible when you see them actually beating it, but I don't, or beating people, but I don't think their express intent in showing up was to cause harm. I think it was. That's it's because they got whipped up into a, into a frenzy by the words of the then sitting president who is now on trial for those crimes. And uh, those are not looking good. That's for a different episode. That's fair. And I'm not going to say that I think the insurrectionists were right. I just think a lot of people cut the insurrectionists point of view of themselves out quite a bit. Sure. I think historically speaking, I I don't think the intent was to be insurrectionists. Right. But I do think they got very carried away. I would agree with that. That I would wholeheartedly agree with, with that wording of it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so these are a whole lot. The, this is we keep you distracted. This is a whole lot of firsts in the United States history, right? So we yes. have the insurrection. Yeah. We it's, have two. I think it's going to show that this is a new time in American politics. Is 
kind of what I was getting at with, you know, this is the Yeah, I agree. The and most I think recent it's, first in a lot of firsts. I think it's a turn. And I don't yeah. think it's a good turn. I think I don't either. When you look at previous for lack of a better term, empires. Right? Because I mean we technically are. We have multiple nations that yeah. are under our purview. Um, under our I, I think given given the context that I think you're using it, I would I would agree with the term empire. Yeah. So given or or political superpowers, uh, global, you could also yeah, global say. power. Um, each one falls in a similar pattern, mm-hmm. and it's usually within a hundred to two hundred year cycles. Yeah. Of their power, and I think. The United States is different because we are the first global superpower to go through this in such an interconnected, globalized world. The last major superpower to really fall, you know, rise up and fall apart in this way um, was the Soviet Union. Okay. And even then, that was before we really had the internet constantly connecting everything. That's before we I, had trade and I would even say, so widely spread as it is now. I would say the the Ottoman Empire, though, because the Soviet Union wasn't around for that long, and they were our contemporary. I, right. I would say the last, the last empire that we've seen kind of break up or see the same path with the trajectory that we have, I would say would be the, the Ottoman empire or, you know, the Austro Hungarian empire as an offshoot. Of I that. would say Ottoman empire. I would maybe say the British empire, but the British empire didn't break up. It just kind of wasted away into. It totally obscurity. broke up. Do you know how many different countries literally revolted and broke off? <laughs> right. But it didn't, but it didn't cause the entire downfall. That's true. And then it the did British empire away. or the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth is still alive and well today. Yeah, well, I mean, ceremonially, but it's—I mean, it was a peaceful transit. Well, for the for the states that remain <laughs> a part of the Commonwealth, it was a more or less peaceful transition of power. Yeah, because there wasn't any energy left the British had to give to fight the. Planet. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. The last, I think, there's plenty of energy within America. I think America is a powder keg. I the think last time we've seen a powder energy. keg, the likes of which has been probably the Ottoman Empire. I think there's a lot of energy within the American people. I don't know if there's a lot of energy within the American government. And yeah. no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and so I could see I could see your Ottoman Empire comparison because of that. I would also make that comparison to the Soviet Union. I feel like the Soviet yeah. Union government just kind of got run down. We literally outspent well, okay, them until the, they couldn't do anything anymore would you say maybe instead of it, like meeting in the middle between the ottoman empire and the ussr maybe the russian empire yeah you could also the, say the russian maybe empire. maybe maybe we are more likely headed to a bolshevik re- re- revolution where yes, it's a it's a I, rebelling against the the autocracy um that that we feel subjugated by yeah i would say it's more like a bolshevik or french revolution that we're headed towards i don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of beheading i think it would be more political than it would be that though it is notable that we do have a number of rightist people who would love to eradicate members of government and it is and those people are this is one of my problems that i have with the political spectrum today 
those mm-hmm. people are rightly condemned for that belief. Right. But then you have leftists who say the same thing under the guise of eat the rich and literally call for the killing and extermination of politicians. And they're not condemned. They're not joined in with, but they're just kind of, hey, just, yeah, we ignore them. Whereas everyone's like, are terrible. But I hear a lot more people, just average everyday people who happen to be on the far right, not even the quote unquote far right, but just the right. But why? Why do you think that is? How much media is leftist controlled versus rightist controlled? I think it has a lot to do with the message that the media, that the right media is setting that the average person on the right is more apt, at least from my point of view, is more apt to be in favor of those kinds of violent revolutions. I disagree. Than, than the, the, I, I mean, the phrase eat the rich to me does not mean a violent revolution. It means, uh, I mean, really what it means is it's a more polite way of saying fuck the rich, which no one, nobody thinks, I mean, and forgive my, my, uh, French here, but no one thinks when I say fuck the rich that I actually want to fuck the rich. <laughs> right. Uh, now I gotta break out the sensor beep. I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but but I felt like like no. You make a good point. You make a good point, and that's a good way of phrasing it. And in that comparison, um, I think you're right in the sense of that's how it is generally accepted to be. Mm-hmm. But you still have that small population on the left. Certainly, certainly. that you have you have those populations the in both size. Right. I think they're the same size. I think they're I both don't a, think they're the same size. I think, I think, think that's where we disagree. Here's the thing. I think they are both a minor amount of each party. I think they are a negligible amount of each party. I will party. agree with that. But I, I think that the rightists get away with less because they want to do the same thing for different reasons. And that difference in ideology in a world where the left controls 80% or more of the major media, you're going to hear about those people way more. And it also just so happens that they tend to be more armed and therefore a little bit louder. I think they're the same. Oh, I don't think that's the case. Oh, well, what do you mean? You think the left side is also armed? (laughs) I think actually, yes. Okay. I think that, I think that the left is, um, not as well armed, but I think that the people that actually are, uh, armed and not, more of a danger to themselves than they are to like everyone else. Like, I I think that the right is more well-armed, but the majority of the people on the right who are armed, the only person that they're endangering killing is really themselves or other people, you know, of their ilk. I think of the people that would actually be able to effectively use weapons on either side is about the same. I think that the people on the left are much less vocal about it. Sure. Because it, because we're not so worried about our, you know, our masculinity or whatever it is. Um, I had a larger part point that I was building to at that. Um, but but to to what you were saying, I I mean, of course, these people exist on each side. Um, 
but I think that the the rhetoric is certainly fueled by the media and mm-hmm. the left does control more of the media, the mainstream media and the messages that go out. But the rhetoric that you're seeing from the right is much more volatile. And so it's more of a, you know, quality versus quantity kind of an argument. I, I don't know the, because the left has quantity, but the quality in terms of the viciousness of that rhetoric definitely goes to the right. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Just because when I think historically I don't know of any any household names like Alex Jones or Ben Shapiro or um I mean Glenn Beck back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any household names that are on the left that are also so vilified in Rachel terms Maddow. of their Rachel Maddow Anderson is the one Cooper. single name. Anderson Cooper is not a political. He has become significantly more. Least, I'm not. I'm not saying I agree with the label. I'm not saying I agree with the label. But he, most of the people at CNN, most of the people at MSNBC, most of the people at CBS. See, I, I'll give you Rachel Maddow. I, I I can't see it being done with Anderson Cooper. I can't see it really being done with again. Anyone I'm not else saying I agree with at, it, but know, it is he CNN. is being given that label. Well, but do you really think that Anderson Cooper is up to the level level of Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly, Tucker Carlson? Well, and let's um, let's be clear. I would not put Alex Jones in the same boat as Ben Shapiro. Okay, yeah, I <laughs> I, would, I was I would rasping put him in his own there. Boat. I would put Bill yeah. O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson and Rush Limbaugh in their own okay. boat, and I would put. Ben I would Shapiro, I would put Candace Owens in that same boat. Ben Shapiro, I would not. Candace Owens, yes, I would. Because I mean, I I'm not a big Ben Shapiro fan just because I feel like he he has his own biases and he's not scared yeah. to let them show. And I think that's fine if that's. And his... he also doesn't need to wear high heels to seem tall next to his wife. But um, I that's do a throwback say, to I, our I, earlier episode. Yeah, I will say that I appreciate <laughs> that in the limited amount I have listened to him he does try to criticize the right just as much as he does the left. Uh, I'm not saying he's good at it. I'm not saying that his criticisms of the right are always as strong as his criticisms of the left, but he does try to do it. I think he throws a bone to the people that think that they're moderate. You could easily make that argument. I think there is a lot of merit to it. I'm not saying I like, I mean, I, I don't listen to him. My wife does. My wife loves loves him that's her prerogative that's fine she's even got a leftist tears mug oh god oh no yeah i've seen that when we were playing uh D together yeah yeah i actually got it for her for christmas but um <clears throat> yeah, that's something that she's but into she loves speaker all of the house yeah speaker of the house the reason we're talking about all this i guess let's get it back you're right the reason we're talking about all this is because this is i think a, the speaker of house being ousted is a big turning point for the united states as a downturn because you look at all these people, yeah. all these countries that we got distracted talking about, like the Soviet Union, the Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, even it always is always boiled down to internal weak, division, internal division regulated by a weak government. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we have a weak government now. And I think we have since Obama left office. 
Um, I think we have an incredibly divided government. Again, I would say that since the last maybe couple of years of Obama, and I'm not blaming him for that. I'm blaming the political climate of the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think you're I, right. I, I we have, a, we have a very political divided government, but it's ineffectual. It's weak. It, even when they do agree on things, it doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of, there's a general distrust of the federal government right now among both parties. Um, there's a general distrust of what they have to say, their ability yeah. to accomplish things, how they spend our money. Um, and our confidence in their ability to make change, to actually get things done. Well, and do you also, um, he, this is just maybe a thought that I had uh, randomly, but I do feel like the, uh, because you and I were talking about um, in a previous episode about our willingness to believe that our candidates were, you know, genuine or that sure. they were there for the right reasons. And I could not help but think about how much more I feel like that is true since the Citizens United case, which made it so that uh, funding on election campaigns is basically un- unhindered. Uh, you can bring out, bring in as much money as you want uh, through various means to fund your election campaign, which has basically made us uh, – even more so of an autocracy than we had been before that. And I feel like with that has come along, at least for me, a sense of distrust with my politicians. And um, I feel like that is also kind of fed into the, uh, the division because the people that are now running and, running for office are not running because they have the best ideas. They're running because they got the most uh, financial support. Yep. And in order to stay in that job, they're going to have to continue to get financial support. Correct. And so the things that they're arguing on are not their, their, you know, well-founded deeply held beliefs, but rather what is most politically and financially expedient. Well, and love him or hate him. Trump when he was running against Hillary. Guess which one I do. When he was running against Hillary, said in that debate, someone said, you know, what do you have to say about the allegations that you've taken advantage of tax loopholes? And he said, mm-hmm. I absolutely did it. And I would do it again. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, he and said that in his trial when it was an incriminating thing for him to say. Right. But he, he pointed out and said, but I do it because that's what all of us do. That's what all of yes. her fundings, her funders do. And that's why she hasn't Absolutely. closed these loopholes because even though she's had the power to, because if she closed those loopholes, she loses all that funding from all of her friends. So yes. I think, I think what you're saying is exactly right. And I think it's, it's affecting us on both sides. And when we look at previous countries who have had a similar problem where it becomes very autocratic, very business oriented, more than politically oriented, um, mm-hmm. One of two things happens. Either the government fixes itself because of some democratic election, um, which you could argue is what happened with the United States in the 1960s um, when we had a lot of political division then and we voted more for people that more people could get behind with Kennedy. Um, Okay. Or I think that's a stretch, but I I think you're right. It's a stretch, but I think it's the closest thing that we have in United States history. 
Um, okay. I guess you could argue uh, Britain giving up their direct control over countries, um, doing that okay. themselves, right? They weren't necessarily always asked to give up that direct control. They started to volunteer it um, after a lot of yeah. things went wrong. So I think either we're going to see a big shift in how people vote and we're going to drive out a lot of these old people or um, the other option that I see historically happening is we have some kind of a reset and that could be where we have a revolution. That could be where there's like another civil war. It could be, we just have a big political steamroller that, moves with the young people and we kick everybody out of office i i think it's gonna be somewhat like not the french revolution of i think it was like the reign uh, of terror 18... with robespierre yeah not not like that one that was um like set like 1780s yeah with all the head chopping um, yeah i think it's gonna be more like the the less violent and bloody ones that happened you know, a few decades later, and I'm not, I'm not totally well versed on that. But from what they I were understand, they were just as bloody more... and violent. They were just uh, as well. Bloody then and maybe, <laughs> then maybe not. Um, it just happened under think... the guise of a military intervention, so it's not yeah. seen to be as as bloody or violent. But it definitely was. Napoleon I think came we're def- in and restored order, and it was very bloody and violent. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the ones that happened after Napoleon. After Napoleon, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah I don't know much about those ones. Um. I think that we're definitely going to see a sea change Yeah, for the better or worse though. I, I cannot tell you which way it's going to go. I would like to see it change in the, in the way that we start. I'd like to see it change for the better. I mean, give well, it the two yeah, for the better, but I would, I would like to see it change for the better. Screw you. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> I, I would like to see it change. You heard way. it here, folks. Cameron <laughs> wants it to change for the worst. I would like to see, more of a push away from the two party system and into third parties. Yeah. I would, I would totally agree with that. I would love for more diverse representation of ideas. Right. Um, I think that would be the best solution, but But that's never going to happen in America. I mean, I think it could happen. It's going to happen more with the younger generation than it is with the older generation. I Um, think we're stuck in our bicameral, uh, party system. I think we're like the Israelites wandering in a, in the wilderness for 40 years. I think we've got a young generation that is disillusioned by both Republicans and Democrats, and that's why they're not voting. Gen Z has yeah. terrible voter turnout, even though well, and, young people I mean, traditionally is... have a specific voter turnout towards the left. Right. and But that is also what what gained Trump his presidency in 2016, specifically a, a group of... But specifically, a group of silent white young men who turned out in uh, numbers to vote that we had never seen before. Sure. And that's actually what tipped the the scales by a lot of yeah. um, pollsters. I uh, think we're going to see a lot more of that. You know, it's Gen Z from, from Gen different Alpha. demographics, though, not just that specific demographic. Right, right. But yeah, you're right. And I, I think as Gen Z and Gen Alpha get more of their political bearings, you get more of their political. Oh God, voices. is that what the new generation is called? Uh huh. Oh, I've I had never heard that. Yeah, Gen Alpha. Yep. I think okay. as they as they start to kind of get more politically active, um, we're going to see less of a 
Democratic push. I think the Dem- the Democrat Party y- yeah. is going to lose. I, I think it's going to be less cloud. stratified, if yes. nothing else. And I think the Republican Party is likewise going to lose a good amount of clout. I um, think this is the breaking up of the of the Republican Party. The Republican Party can't. I mean, bringing it back to our initial conversation about Kevin McCarthy and the and the speakership. Kevin McCarthy fought tooth and nail to get that position in the first place. I think and we're I just going to see a lot of them become the a nationalist party of some kind. Yeah. Well, and I think like we've, again, already talked about on previous episodes, I think that that nationalist sect is going to take the Republican party name sure. with them. And, and right now what we're seeing, or what we're about to see is a, uh, fractory group of actual Republicans who have to rebrand themselves I to get away from that party name that's being sullied by um, by people like Matt Gates, uh, Jane yeah. McCarthy, and the you know, or not Jane McCarthy. Uh, why did I say Jane McCarthy? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is yeah. what I meant. I think likewise, though, I was just see... thinking of crazy uh, uh, vaccine deniers, and I thought of jenny mccarthy i think likewise though we're going to see a similar fracturing in the democratic party because we're starting to get to the point i think we're starting to get to the point where you have a lot of democrats who are leaving the democratic party because it's getting too progressive too liberal look at people like bill maher who was the leading left bleeding heart leftist when we were in high school and is now if anything, a moderate, even though he hasn't really changed his position on anything. Yeah, but Bill Maher for me has always just been on his own team. I don't think he's representative. But it's not of just Bill Maher. I mean, Democrats. look at look at um, Bernie Sanders. Okay, Bernie Sanders yeah. runs as a Democrat until he's in office, and then he switches to an independent. He does that all the time. No, that's. I mean, that's political mover, maneuvering. I it think is, what you're going to see. But I think I, what you're going to see with the Democratic Party is these old school Democrats are going to die out. And we're now seeing a new wave of quote unquote progressives, which I know is like a thing that Nancy Pelosi termed. Actually, no, it's, a, it's an FDR. East. It's a Woodrow Wilson term. Well, but, way back. Not termed, but Nancy Pelosi in the modern sense has championed that. Okay. I think you're going to see people like uh, AOC, mm-hmm. people like um, oh gosh, the the guy from the guy that that's like huge on TikTok. Uh, oh, I forget yeah, his yeah. name. He's very no. See, I would I would disagree there because he is very sensible. He he represents what I think one side of the Democratic Party will be, where it's very sensible, logical, down to earth. Let's try and get stuff done. And then you've got okay. the visionary side of the Democratic Party, which is well, your AOC, okay, yes, your yes. Tlaib, uh, your Bernie Sanders. And I think those, just like I'm seeing, and I think you're right that the Republican Party is kind of breaking up. I think the difference is, though, the Democratic you're, you're Party. You're just seeing a shift in the Democratic Party. It's not going to break up. I think it's breaking up the, more silently because Party. you have a number. Yeah, like it's okay, becoming more and more stratified. I think it's happening more quietly because even though. They have very different views. The far leftist people, you know, the progressive people who are calling straight up for a socialist state or a communist state. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I, not I, necessarily not one of them. But I would say those people are just as far to the left as some of these people are to the right. 
on the oh, other I side. Oh, I disagree with that. Oh. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Well, okay. Well, as someone who has their master's degree I, in communist history, I'm going to say I think I'm a, I think I'm about <laughs> as far of a leftist as you can be without being clinically insane. And and I don't have anything close to the violent values that I've found with people who are not that far right. I I don't think still you are far as right. far left as you think you are. I don't there's a think... difference between saying, yeah, I think socialism, communism would be great, and then the actual implementation of it. And that's something for a very different time. But, I, but I'm also not championing the things that the people that on the far right are championing. There's no one on the far left that is championing things that are as detrimental as the you know far right nationalists are championing. Communism. No one on the far Okay. <laughs> That's not the same as uh, ethnic cleansing, as lynching. That's fair. As, but but when I'm looking at the know, far right, I'm not looking at those people. I'm looking at people like Matt Gates. Matt Gates is not calling for ethnic cleansing I wouldn't like necessarily the neo-Nazis call Matt are. Gates far right. Oh, well, I, I would. But I would say... I would, I would call people like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who ooh. are strong proponents of nationalism, which nationalism is in itself racism. Um, I don't think you're seeing the same things on the left. Ugh. We're going to have to talk about this next week because we are one out of time. And two, we are, I heavily disagree with that definition of nationalism. Okay. Vehemently. I, I, vehemently I think, disagree. I think it, it, it very much invites racism. I would agree with that. But nationalism to me is just the sense of identity. And when you have nationalism in the sense of there's us and there's them, which is at the base level, what nationalism is, you have a group of yes. us and a group of others. And we include How do you the define us. the us right. and separate the others. Though. Exactly. Primarily, that's done through race. Sometimes. Most of the time. Not most of the time. I would, I would challenge you. Okay, next episode, bring me four... Uh, three instances in history where nationalism has not been brought about through the means of racism. Okay. Do I get to count all of the different communist states or, as one, or do I have to count them in, or can I count them individually? If they're part of the USSR, they count as the USSR. Okay. All of the USSR, China, Cambodia, Vietnam. Wait, Cuba. are not using race? Right. The, the So you're saying the Camera Rouge... We're not at all using race. No, no, no. I'm saying their revolution was not, or their nationalist ideals were more class-based as well I as race. I am going to disagree with that. I'm not, I... saying, I'm not saying they didn't bring race into it. I'm not saying race wasn't involved. But you look at any communist revolution, and it is a nationalist idea of us versus them, where the us are the working class and the them are the bourgeoisie. Okay, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is an episode that we need to to <laughs> come back to. All right, our thoughts on nationalism, because I find this very fascinating what you are saying. But we do not have time right. to continue. We don't, to and I do it. want to be clear: I am not a nationalist in this. No, I, I don't think you today. do. I don't. I know. Think you I know do. you don't think that. I want other people listening to be like is he some far righty i'm not no okay well thank you uh first of all to all of our listeners uh please if you enjoy what we're doing or if you're just uh if you just enjoy us um 
and would like to support us, please uh, like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff on you know Spotify, YouTube, wherever you find us. Uh, also, thank you to House Young Club for letting us use their song, This Life is Tough But Fair, as our intro and outro music. Um, you can find that on their EP, Headset Emotions. And Cameron, I believe you have a fun fact for us. Well, first, I want to shout out my wife, who uh, told me that I would be recording for way longer than I told her I would, as I do every week. And she and was right. was she correct? She yeah. was. She was quite correct. So shout out to Alyssa for being correct again. And yes, thank you, Alyssa. Uh, I am sorry for going this long as I did. I'm not sorry. Our fun fact for the week is that I want all of you to remember that the Empire State Building has its own zip code. Does it really? It does. I did not know that. I wish I had known that when I was there. Uh, it is quite a large building, but yeah. I didn't realize it had its the own one building zip has code. its own zip code. That's that crazy. reminds me of a Yamaha joke.